This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Artificial Intelligence Podcast with your host, Dr. Tony Huang. Today, I'm here with Thomas Weaver. Thomas, do you want to give a quick intro about yourself? Sure. I'm a former tech startup CEO turned investor and fiction author. Awesome. You want to give us a little bit more background in your tech and what inspired you to dive into the realm of fiction writing? I had always wanted to be a writer ever since I was a kid, but it's one of those fields where you know that no fiction writer really makes any money unless you're that very top 0.1%. So I always told myself I had to have a proper job and my proper job was always in technology. Um, My startup um, was really kind of deep restaurant tech, integrating systems together. And we sold it to Just Eat Takeaway in 2018 and I exited the business completely in 2019. And suddenly found that I had no choice but to do what I said I would always do, which was when I had the time and the luxury, I would write. So I decided uh, I would put all of the fears and worries I had from many years in tech together and write my first fiction book. So what's um, what's the catalyst behind blending your tech experience into this narrative of this book that you wrote that's called Artificial Wisdom? Like when was that published yeah. and inspiration behind it? Yeah, so Artificial Wisdom publishes in the UK in hardback in October uh, this year, 2023. And it will be out in the US in kind of spring, April uh, 2024. Um, I think, you know, being in the tech industry, you really tap into not only all of the amazing, incredible things that happen every day, every hour, it seems sometimes in technology, um, but you also tap into the real fears that people have around the potential of misuse of things. Um, And so I felt that whilst a lot of incredible writers of fiction help tell their stories from the viewpoint from afar, I think I felt that I had a real feel for some of the opportunities and also some of the things that could scare everyone and not go so well in technology. So this is, as as most fiction is, it's a little bit of a warning piece. And my book in particular fuses two big topics that we're worried about right now, which is artificial intelligence and uh, climate change. And so it was looking at what if you were using some of the greatest technology that we've ever had to solve one of the greatest threats that we have ever faced. So your novel touches on the notion of AI potentially sacrificing human freedoms for the greater good. Based on your experience in the tech industry, how plausible is that scenario? Yeah, I very much wanted to tell a slightly different story from the typical kind of artificial intelligence is bad. I think we have to be very careful as writers 
because fiction plants the seed of everybody's imagination. And if um, we all write stories where, you know, cyborgs go through and murder everybody and, and take over the world, then um, inevitably that kind of finds its way in, into reality. And techno technology is often inspired by sci-fi. And, um, and certainly the narrative that we have in our head is inspired by both great films and great books. Um, I wanted to be a little bit careful about how we thought about AI in the future. Um, but I did think that we, if we are in a position of elevating our technology into an area where it is better than humanity in a whole heap of things, you know, there is that almost crossover into this idea of, of you know, a higher power, not in the religious sense, not in the same way that a religious sense is there, but it would be potentially above humanity in a whole range of things. And I think that the interesting question was, okay, if you could ask artificial intelligence as that kind of super superpower to solve some of the crises that we can't solve because we can't make difficult decisions, um, could it do? And if it could, you know, what would you have to give up in return? If artificial intelligence was making hard choices for us, then we might all have to sacrifice our freedom because that actually might be the thing that saves us. It might be that our freedom is the very thing that's causing a lot of the issues we face right now. So how do you envision the real world implications of weather becoming a weapon of say like genocide by the mid um, 21st century? What's your take on that? Yeah, obviously uh, when you're writing fiction, you have to uh, come up with some of the worst case scenarios. Otherwise you don't necessarily have a story. Actually, I think the short term truth is a little bit scarier. I think uh, if you look at some of the stories that came out last year, there was a, an American entrepreneur who was quite inspired by Neil Stevenson's uh, termination shock with this idea that actually you could maybe solve climate change by firing sulfur up into the atmosphere to block the sun. And he said to himself, that's probably not that expensive to do. If I raise a little bit of money, I could fire sulfur up into the atmosphere. And of course, a bunch of countries were trying to stop him from doing this because um, what if it goes wrong? What if you cause another ice age? You, know, you could be the hero that saves everything. You could be the, the villain that destroys humanity accidentally. It is literally something that you might expect to see in a kind of Bond movie. And I think with all the best intentions, actually the biggest concern is that weather is so interconnected across the world, you can't just influence a bit of it. Whatever you do in one area obviously has implications elsewhere, which is the greater problem with climate change. Everybody acts in their national interests, but the problem is an interconnected one. What if some countries actually will benefit from climate change as they will? They will act in a way that is counter to the interests of countries that are actually desperately trying to avoid climate change. So I think that the short-term risk of dabbling with the weather and geoengineering is that countries or private individuals or corporations may actually decide to take some of this into their own hands and do things because they, they think that we need to, that we need to act so fast, we need to save everything. And it's difficult to know on this side of it, whether that will be successful or disastrous. Yeah, so like, how did events like Britain's Brexit and hmm. the US's event where like Trump won, President Trump won mm -hmm. in 18, how did that influence the narrative and themes of this book that you wrote? Yeah, I would say that was very much the genesis for me. I looked at the kind of polarization that we were experiencing um, both here in the UK 
uh, th through Brexit, which was almost like living through a civil war that cut through families rather than through kind of religions, and looking at what happened in the US uh, with Trump, and feeling that if it was so easy for relatively unsophisticated bots to change opinion on that, as we think may have happened, we think that actually a large swathes of the population were potentially influenced by maybe the Russians, maybe other people on social media through uh, through bots. I started to wonder what would happen if that was ramped up? What would happen if technology actually did become infinitely more powerful? What happens if the kind of AI that we've seen emerge since I started writing the book was actually used and automated uh, and targeted better? What would happen if we weren't targeting people at a mass level, but actually had the ability like Facebook does to actually really target people at an individual level, i.e. you could go from personalised kind of advertising to personalised propaganda. And that's where I think it's a bit different from the view of AI that we have as either as a sort of a super intelligence or as the tool we have it today, but somewhere in the middle where we go, okay, the administrative capability of actually steering opinion en masse, if it's hidden, could be quite profound. And I don't think we're ready for that. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Your brain needs support. And new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus. Stay chill or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. So there's a, a term called solar geoengineering, real life concerns about solar geoengineering. I saw that on your book. You want to just tell me in like a high level what that is and what your concerns are regarding that? Yeah, as I said, I think my my concerns are that people will dabble dabble with it without really having that model through. And I do actually think this is where technology can play a very strong part. You know, if we get to the stage where our technology is is good enough at modeling implications of things before it happens, uh, then I think that we can use geoengineering in all sorts of ways potentially to to help or to tweak things along. If we've not got to the stage where we've solved it through other means, you know, in my book, I looked at some worst case scenarios again, which was what would happen if a heat wave was due to hit country A, and there was a way of diverting it to country B. Now, this is in the realm of sci-fi, right? This is where it gets into things where, whilst I consulted some experts in that kind of space, obviously that technology doesn't exist. Um, nobody has that capability, but you're saying, what if it did? What could you do to not necessarily weaponize, to deflect like a shield, the worst hurricane that was coming at you onto somebody else? Would, would you do it if it could save millions of your citizens? And I worry you know, maybe one day we'll be faced with those kind of ethical dilemmas. Gotcha. Um, so based on your personal experience in the industry, how do you see the role of AI evolving 
in the next decade, particularly to like decision making? Yeah, so my general view always is that uh, technology has augmented our ability to make decisions. Ever since the firefighters has changed the way that we eat food, I think technology today changes uh, the way that we do work. Uh, the more access to some of these wonderful AI tools that have come around in the last few years uh, that we have, the more we can actually use them to facilitate a better decision. You can crunch more data more intuitively. You can communicate with that data in natural language. You can get answers back that you can understand. And possibly more importantly, it's democratized, so anyone can do it. When querying a database in SQL, that was very complicated. It was a very specific job only a couple of years ago. It is still today for the majority of things that aren't hooked up to AI. I do think this has the chance to transform the way that we interact with the realm of data that's out there on all sorts of different levels. And a lot of that will be the fun stuff. It may be when we finally tap into all of that wonderful data, metadata that sat on your phone connected to your pictures. You know, your, you know Apple can tell right now whether a photo of you, you know, has a mustache and is smiling and um, what temperature the, the sensor was when that photo was taken. You know, there's all that wonderful data that is completely inaccessible today sat away in 10,000 photos on your phone. When we have the ability to naturally interface with that data, that becomes quite profound. Of course, it gets more interesting when we can actually interface with much more complex data and data that can actually have an impact on the world. So are there any AI projects or AI advancements that you find like really exciting or alarming? And for me, I find that like one of the best AI projects out there is this thing called Langchain, which is just basically mm. this uh, framework that allows you to chain together a large language model and build architects around it. What do you think is out there right now that's uh, either really exciting or just really concerning that's like currently on the market? I think that the currently on the market thing in itself is concerning because I think what's just amazing right now is just the onslaught of how many new tools and technologies are coming out daily. You know, and I try and follow it as, as best as I can as a as both a tech investor and a writer. It's incessant. The ones that have excited me most are the ones that free up my creativity as a writer. Not actually necessarily in the domain of writing. I actually haven't found anything that useful apart from for kind of summarizing being able to feed in a chapter of your book and get a synopsis through something like ChatGPT is wonderful. Um, but being able to feed uh, some of your descriptions into mid-journey and generate photos of your scenes, like in as the computer is understood, then that's pretty cool. And I use it to generate characters, I use it to generate scenes so that I actually have something to look at as I'm writing. And starting to combine some of these things together into things like Runway ML, where I can generate videos from those images and actually uh, have stuff moving that becomes useful in the marketing of my book. So I'd say I'm very much on that end of thing. I don't look into some of the very kind of deep stuff um, because uh, right now it's not useful to me personally in what I'm doing. Um, but I am pretty interested really in, in probably the next few years, as you say, where things start to hook together better, where we start to connect across broader swathes of data and these things can start to run a little bit better. I've really got very excited about kind of agents and being able to do things autonomously in the background. And I don't think it's really there yet. I don't think it's really that good. Um, I think you have to work pretty hard to get some useful results out of that. But I'm, I have no doubt that in the next couple of years, that will just become normal.
in terms of like deep fakes and fake news that has mm. been a pretty hot topic in recent years. And I think it's going to be a, a even hotter topic next year in 2024 uh, with the U.S. election. How do you envision these ev evolving with the advances in AI? Obviously, the the resolution of these things is going to improve. It's going to become harder and harder to spot. You know, we are going to have to deploy new tools to be an analyzing media that we see to to check and it will be one of those kind of races of the the producers of stuff deep faking versus the detection of course the, the scary thing is it only takes a video of let's say biden saying something you know that it has been faked to go viral on social media well before it can be checked and people don't necessarily care about whether things are true or not so that complicates it even more in a way we are always our own worst enemy the technology is there to be misused and then people are quite happy to be bad actors around spreading this misinformation. I think we're really in a spot. You know, I looked at it in my book and I basically, you know, when I was writing, I'm writing about the year 2050 um, and I very much took the view that deep fake tech would be banned in some way then because there's going to have to be some sort of clampdown on it just for our own sanity and protection. But God knows how, how do you do it? How do you ban anything when actually a lot of the technology that helps us do these things can run locally on people's computers. And it's not confined to a few websites anymore where the gatekeeping can be shut down. Now anybody with a fast enough computer can run uh, some pretty incredible software themselves. So I think it's really going to be a problem. I don't think anybody has a solution for it. And I, I, my genuine fear is really that we, we are just rocked into this permanent kind of race. So trying to verify and check everything text image video and 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 in the future spatial videos and um, and vr videos and everything that will come to make sure that they are authentic and true are there any like safeguards that are either in place right now or just being currently built that helps prevent misuse of ai driven like manipulation tools i haven't seen any and i go be the first to say I'm definitely not an expert in that space. I think that I think that safeguarding it is very, very difficult. But I think coming back to deep faking, I think we will probably need stronger ways of authenticating something is true. Like I think that th there is a whole missing layer of authentication in the world of being able to digitally sign in the way that kind of PGP was a thing for a while where we could digitally sign emails and prove that they came from us. I do think we will get to a world where we will have to digitally sign content to prove that it is authentic and, um, and things need to kind of the opposite way from where Twitter slash X has taken things with verified accounts. I think verified accounts are going to become very, very important because otherwise you just simply won't know who to trust. But I do think you will have some degree of pseudo-anonymous verification as well. I think that's going to be important. Not everybody can be themselves online. I was watching the the Apple um, keynote, like I think it was mm. yesterday, days ago. And so I started Googling um, what they were building. And it looks like they're building some augmented reality products. Do you mm. AR playing a role in like propaganda or more specifically like personalized propaganda um, in the future? I think I would separate the two things. I think AR is an incredibly exciting potential addition to our world. And certainly I, for one, followed it now for maybe 20 years. And 20 years ago, I was looking at people talking about doing kind of contact lens solutions to project into the world. And I got very excited about this. And of course, it's taken 
as these things often do, one entire S-curve to reach the point where we're now starting to see usable products in the market. So I'm very excited about AR. I do think that not having the phone in front of you all the time is going to be great. I do think I was talking with somebody about this the other day. We saw this video where everybody was taking uh, a picture of a LeBron game. You know, everybody was on their phone apart from one guy. And what that means is that people aren't really in the moment anymore. They are concerned about capturing the moment, even though it's being recorded a million times around them and they could watch it later. There's still something that's become addictive about capturing it for yourself. But I do think if that technology is, is into your visual field, then actually being able to look at something um, and record it, first of all, means you're there, and, and B, means that you could augment that vision with some really interesting stuff. I think the issues yeah. of personalized propaganda are wide, and I do think that's much more around how people are targeted you know, using their data. As I say, Facebook is incredibly sophisticated uh, at targeting ads to you, and I do think that uh, in bad hands, that is a real potential for misuse. That's interesting. It's analogous to like people taking videos of fireworks, right? Like, yeah. You'll, when, whenever I'm at like the Fourth of July fireworks, I just see everyone pulling out their phones and recording the fireworks. But then, mm. back in my mind, I'm thinking, when are you ever gonna watch that video ever again? Other than yeah. you actually. So like people yeah. are just in that moment. Um, they're just using the technology to record, which I think mm. is um. Like, Given that AR can shape the perceptions of reality, what are some ethical considerations um, should like tech developers or policymakers consider um, when it comes to building these AR products? The number one thing in everybody's mind is going to be privacy, for sure. And that was one of the issues with Google Glasses uh, in the early days um, of their product. Um, and everybody freaked out about the idea that you might be able to be filmed without your consent or knowledge all the time. And, you know, that essentially put on online or watch back for your for, for your own sake. So I think privacy is an issue. I think that we will also be able, to, conceivably, you could tie in sort of the incredible face recognition kind of stuff that's around today with some of the data that's around today. And you could, as you're walking around, be able to have something that did recognize people's faces and did pull up who they are and a bit about them and pull all that information together into real time, which on one hand sounds interesting because I'm, for one, I'm terrible at linking names to faces. And on the other hand, you can see very quickly how that could go too far and how actually, like with all things when it comes to technology, we make advances which sometimes make our lives easier and yet take away something in the course of doing so. We actually lose something. We just on a smartphone have connected us with the world, but they have stolen our attention. And the fireworks example is a great example. Capturing something else uh, that you'll never watch. I guess the real question is when we have these next generation on from our smartphones, what we what we will leave, will we lose in the process? Excuse me. What would we lose in the process? Um, because suddenly it becomes much easier to see and hear and record and play back things that we couldn't do before. So, for this book that you wrote, did you incorporate AI into the writing process? No, because AI, like in ChatGPT and things like that, pretty much came around after I had a finished manuscript. I wrote the first version very much in 2020 and. 
book books people think that books are written linearly right that, that you start at the beginning and then you finish at the end but it's more like a painting where you have just this series of layers that builds up on top of each other as you refine and refine and refine it and so it took three years to write but that that first version was pretty much done in 2020 and there was no chat gpt then um oh, God. yeah because because right now on the amazon book market they're getting flooded with these ai generated um, books yeah and yeah, authors are really worried about it. Concerned because, like, number one, it's it's not original, right? Because it's generated. But number two is that in the future, like future large language models um, are typically LLMs are typically built on books because they're highly structured, they're edited, and so in the future you could have an instance where LLM is reading like a new, like a next generation LLM is reading these books that are already AI generated. They're out there in the market and it doesn't know um, that it's like AI generated, so it doesn't filter it. So mm. it like weird feedback. Yeah. Your LLMs. How do you AI like either revolutionizing or destroying the creative process in the writing field, the arts, other fields that are in the creative like section in the upcoming yeah. year? As you can imagine, authors are terrified about this right now. And literally, if you tap into the kind of writing community on social media, I would say a good portion of the conversation comes back to AI. And there are those that are embracing it um, and saying, look, this is a tool like any other tool. It was critical to our working process as Spellcheck was when that came around, or thesauruses. And we can use it to brainstorm with. You know, it doesn't necessarily need to be the writing thing, but it can just be something to exchange ideas with. And of course, there are those that are taking the opposite view, which is this should not be supported at all. Like we should avoid it like the plague, because ultimately this will put us out of a job. There's a lot of fear. There's a lot of misunderstanding in the space. And, and of course, it's completely understandable because the great fear is, will this technology become better than humans at writing stories? Because the sad truth is that actually most stories do follow patterns. You know, there are some very famous patterns. The hero's journey is one of them, where literally things like Star Wars or Dune or Beowulf follow a particular pattern of story. And writers use these structures to help structure their own stories. Think you know, when you've got LLMs that have analyzed all human literature to date, then there is a very real potential that it will become better than us at uh, producing new stories. Now, you could always argue that actually the, there is a lack of originality and creative spark. But again, the sad truth is that most creativity in humans comes from combining one idea with another idea. You know, J.K. Rowling, when she wrote Harry Potter, took kind of the British boarding school of kind of Enid Blyton and Mallory Towers era and combined it with wizards. And she came up with something which was seen as incredibly creative and wonderful. And of course, a lot of it wasn't just that. It was the detail that then was painted beneath it, which actually provided the real interesting stuff. But you know, those are, that's how creativity works. We take an idea we're familiar with and we combine it with something that um, is unfamiliar and new. And so it's a real fear. Again, I don't think anybody has any answers. I do think in the short term, it can be a powerful tool to assist writers in writing, not necessarily doing the writing for them, but again, as a brainstorming partner, you know, or give me a better word for this, um, or write me a synopsis of this chapter and all the chapters and tell me kind of where I am. I do think that um, that's viable. Uh, I do think it's a shame that these sort of AI 
generated books that are currently pretty rubbish flooding the market because I think that actually hurts everybody in the kind of self-publishing side of the spectrum who had already had a bit of an issue with a kind of quality stamp. It will, it will damage things there and I can't believe that many people really will be buying them at this stage. Um, so it's a very, very complicated space and, and I really couldn't say where it's going to end up because I do think we have, it's true, it will have the potential to be better than us. It may be simply that actually it augments us and creates better stories in the process of doing so. So what's the, that's the central message or takeaway from this uh, book that you wrote? Um, if you had to summarize everything, what would it be? Well, I wouldn't want to spoil it for everybody, Tony, but I think I take a view. I'm, I'm not a, I'm not an AI doomist. I'm relatively hopeful, um, but I do think we need to be careful. That's not rocket science. I do, I do think that technology could be the thing that solves a whole heap of our problems, that AI could play a huge part in, in our future. And yet you know, we will also need to be careful that actually, you know, we don't just let loose and that we don't also bring some of our kind of preconceived notions of what AI in the movies was to the table and assume that's how it's going to be. It's a dangerous thing, as I say, when you're writing stories, whether you're telling stories, when you're filming stories, you are informing the public narrative. And because a great story is often told through conflict, we always imagine the worst case scenarios and therefore those are the movies that get made. You know, and I do think possibly it'll be somewhere in the middle where like with every single technology, and again, we've talked about some of them today, every single technology humanity has ever had has moved us forward whilst taking something away. You know, we will lose something essential in the part of it. We will gain a whole heap of other things. And we'll probably mourn that time that we had before AI came along, whilst also not being able to comp comprehend how we did without it. So what's, uh, what's next for you? Can we ex expect another novel or AI project that's on the horizon? Like, what are you working on next? Both. Even though I said I would never do another startup again, I am at the uh, at the genesis stage of working on something new. But as I'm going through that, that the good thing now this time round is I don't need to raise money like I did first time round. And so the, the chance of sort of finding the right product market fit before we actually go and raise money, which is nice, but I'd still say we were very early stage and taking our time. Um, but a lot of the ideas I had within the book uh, really around augmented reality and communication were the things that kind of inspired me to get coding again uh, and start creating again. Um, but in the process, I've also been writing another book. So I'm uh, currently trying to desperately finish with the third version of my, uh, of my new book and get it to the copy editor, which was meant to be this weekend. So that'll be the, uh, the next part. I'm trying to write the ending of my story. And I can tell you that endings are hard. Where can I get this official wisdom book? Like, where is it? Like, do I go online? You know, what bookstore? Where would you get this? It'll be everywhere. Um, in the US, as say, we plan to go uh, hardback in April. And uh, I think we'll probably do Kindle fairly soon. I think we're looking at opening up the Kindle version earlier and the audiobook version even earlier, simply because I find Amazon's ACX kind of audiobook site where it publishes to Audible. It's so complicated to use. I've pretty much just gone, you know what? It can distribute globally straight away. We've got a wonderful audiobook coming out voiced by Stephen Pacey who is one of the best narrators in the entire business. Um, I've been listening to it all week. I just 
the proofs through, and it's just incredible. Amazon, and uh, we are working with a bunch of different booksellers who are going to be stocking it in their stores, um, certainly in the US and the UK. And then we're trying to figure out beyond the US and the UK which countries we're going to focus on for print um, and which ones we're just going to keep it digital. Um, if I had to get in contact with you, how would I do it? Uh, you can go to my website, uh, thomasrweaver.com. Awesome. Thanks for coming on the show. Really um, excited to take a look at that book once it hits shelves. Um, Thomas, any any like messages that you could tell to aspiring writers or anyone that's interested in getting into the AI field? I, I think the biggest thing I've learned uh, throughout my entire career is it's never too late to start doing anything that you want to and that the tools exist nowadays to accelerate your learning journeys far beyond what we were able to do you know, 15, 20, 30 years. Uh, you want to start something and you're not there yet, it doesn't matter. Um, you start tomorrow, you tap into the incredible resources that are online now uh, to learn that field, you know, whether it is writing or art or any kind of coding and tech, um, and you will get there well beyond you know, where you could have done 10, 15 years ago. And I'll genuinely say that I'm coding for the first time in 20 years since really since university. My first startup, I was a CEO, but I had a CTO and I didn't do any coding. And this time I'm, I'm collaboratively coding with the same CTO, but we're building it together. And it's just incredible being able to actually use AI as part of that process to, to help me and guide me through some of some of the coding things. And my my progress is 10 times as fast as it would be without it, maybe even more. Thanks, Thomas, for appearing on the show. I'm really excited to uh, get my hands on your book. Um, and until next time, thanks for all the viewers for listening in.